Podcast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome, believers, skeptics, and paranormal thrill seekers, to this another episode of Through the Veil. I'm your host, JD, the guy who will march right into a haunted house fearlessly. But when confronted with a raccoon running out of the bushes at four o'clock in the morning, will take off towards my front door, having it all captured on my ring camera. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at the case of Annalise McHale. It's going to have us traveling to Germany in the 1970s. So grab your Bibles and holy water, because we're going on a spiritual journey that will entice, scare, and make you cautious of the littlest, strange behavior in someone going forward. Stay with us as we peer through the veil and tell Annalise's story. Most people would think of a demonic possession as something from The Exorcist, or even perhaps movies like The Rite with Sir Anthony Hopkins. In real life, though, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning on the same day you win the huge lotto jackpot than you do getting possessed by a demon. Before we dive into Annalise's story, let's talk about demonic possession, or one who is said to be possessed by a demon, according to a paper written in 1988 by Roger Butford through George Fox University. This, he says, is basically a condition in which one or more evil spirits, or demons, inhabit the body of a human being and can take complete control of their victim at will. When dealing with a person who is said to be possessed, we must understand that possessed is to own something. In the case of demonic possession, the demon or demons do not own the person, only they have taken control over the person's mind and actions, and they are able to heavily influence the person to behave, speak, or do things that they would never do. The person will have a loss of control in all areas of their life that are not controlled by the Holy Spirit. This means that your faith and being filled with the Holy Spirit will be the one thing that ensures you will not have demonic possession happening in your life. Another aspect of demonic possession, as discussed by Dr. Richard Gallagher, who is an academic psychiatrist, in his book Demonic Foes, where he describes nearly 20 years ago waking up one night to his two cats, who, who were normally calm and collected, but now they were just going crazy to the point that he had to put them in two separate rooms before going back to bed. The next morning he states that a priest who knew him came to his door with a woman asking how he liked the cats last night. The woman, Julia, stated that she was a high priestess of Satanism and had been possessed by demonic forces. Now, if I had my pastor come to my door with a woman claiming this, I am positive I would throw a gallon of holy water on her before moving forward. She told him her name was Julia and that she knew she was possessed whenever he provided his psychiatric services. She would say that she had moments of spacing out and 
and not being able to recall anything that occurred during the time frame. She was convinced it was a demon. This caused Gallagher to take the plunge into the world of possession. She levitated for 30 minutes during the exorcism and spoke languages that she said she never knew. This was not, however, the first time he would encounter situations like this in his career. Gallagher set out to prove the difference between a psychosis and a true possession. Gallagher went on to consult with many priests over the course of his career. Now, in the case of Annalise, the two priests, Ernest Alt and Arnold Renz, were present. They stated they conducted the exorcism rite, and it was approved by the church to help rid her of demons after the four-year-long torment that she went through. They claim that during those four years, medical treatment for epilepsy did not work because she didn't have epilepsy. She was, in fact, possessed by demons. In fact, she actually underwent 67 exorcisms in total. And Annalise was only 23 years old when she died. But before we get too far into that, let us rewind to the start of her life to get to know who she was. Annalise McHale was born on September 21st, 1952 in Bavaria. Her born name was Anna Elizabeth McHale and was the first of four daughters for her parents, Joseph and Anna. The McHales were a devout religious family in the Catholic religion. Three of her aunts were nuns and her father had even considered priesthood at one point in his life. Catholicism ran deep through his family. With any family, however, drama is present and the church disgraced them because Anna's mother gave birth to a daughter out of redlock named Martha, which in that day and age was not a common thing and instead was basically a cause to be an outcast. So much so that her mother had to wear her sins in the form of a black veil on her wedding day to Anna's father. Once Annalise was born, her mother would push her to be dedicated in her devotion to God. And after her illegitimate daughter Martha passed away during a surgery, the push became even stronger. From this strong Catholic upbringing, it turned Annalise into an obedient and devoted young lady. Now, I know we all want our children to behave, Especially as a father of two wild boys, I want them to be obedient, especially when they're in public. But I would never put this kind of pressure on either of my children. In one such instance, in penance for the sins of homeless drug addicts and wayward souls, a teenager at the time, Annalise, was made to sleep on the bare stone floor. She didn't even commit the sin. She was simply a person who was willing to pay the punishment, even if she didn't understand what she was paying penance for. Now, in 1968, she was just 16 at the time. She began to suffer convulsions that were diagnosed as epileptic attacks called temporal lobe epilepsy. 
Your temporal lobe controls so much of your body's functions and behaviors that damage to it can lead to paranoia and hallucinations. In Annalisa's case, her temporal lobe epilepsy caused her to have seizures, memory loss, and it brought on visual and auditory hallucinations. She suffered one of her first convulsions when she was at school where she was described as going into a trance-like state. She had another convulsion and said she felt like something was pinning her down to her bed at her chest. Just imagine waking up and being unable to move because something you can't see is physically holding you down. She was also diagnosed with Geschwind syndrome, which causes a person to act in an excessively religious manner. This must have been terrifying to her, especially knowing that she had to tell her parents. She said that she didn't remember anything that happened. However, just a year later, she experienced another type of occurrence where she woke up in a trance and wet her bed. She also went through a series of convulsions that caused her entire body to shake uncontrollably. Now, after these episodes, her mother took her to see two doctors, Dr. Vaught, which was her family doctor, and a neurologist, Dr. Luthi. He ran an EEG to check for seizure activity or any other brain anomalies. They could find nothing wrong with Annalise and decided that it must be some form of epilepsy. I will leave you to decide which one afflicted Annalise, her medical condition or possession. Now, when we return, we're gonna dive further into her attacks and her early life. Stay with us. Autumn's Oddities is a strange and unusual podcast made by the strange and unusual me, Autumn Gruby. Each week, I'll be taking you through some of the creepiest cases true crime has to offer. It won't only be true crime. I'll also be covering cryptids, haunted places, haunted things, and the true stories that inspired horror movies. Listen every Monday and Friday for new episodes. And remember, if it's creepy and weird, you'll find it here. Welcome back. Let's continue. Two years after she started suffering from her attacks, she was provided a medication as an anticonvulsant and an anti-seizure med. She had a few other EEGs that had shown some minor abnormalities. However, nothing that was out of the ordinary that would make the doctors 
believe that it was something to be concerned with. She said that she would hear voices damning her to hell. She would hear knocks in her bedroom and that her sister stated that she had heard the same. So it wasn't just limited to Annalise. At one point, her mother said that she was staring very hard at a, at a statue of the Virgin Mary and she reported that her eyes went all black and her hands turned into thick paws with razor claws on the end. On one neurological visit, she told her doctor that she was seeing faces of the Fratzen, or ghostly demonic entities. Now stop, let's hold it right there. All of this now coming out, and you still think that she's okay and sent her on her way to college and carried on without even considering the possibility that she might be being tormented by a demon or an evil entity, especially since Annalise's sister was also hearing the phenomena going on in the bedroom. Let's continue. Through all of this, though Annalisa still had hope of a bright future. In 1973, she graduated from high school and would attend West Germany's University of Würzburg. She wanted to be a teacher. Coming from the background, she did. She stayed to herself because her peers thought her as overly religious. She would pray the rosary and spend time with the pictures of the saints. Now, everyone has that experience with the slightly off kid. And I know that I probably wouldn't have reached out much to them to offer support, but remember, everyone may be going through a battle we don't know about. And that's something we learn as adults. Be that bigger person. Reach out to that, that kid that's odd. It could save a life or, you know, drag you down a terrible hole of hellfire and destruction. In the case of Annalise, however, she was withdrawn because she was dealing with some intense hallucinations coming from the devils claiming she would rot in hell, especially when she was in the middle of praying. Do you think that maybe part of her issue was she was finally out on her own and she didn't have to adhere to the strict standards set by her parents. However, she did so in fear of what the punishment might be if she didn't. She also began smelling fire and feces, as well as dealing with upper limb paralysis. At times, others who were around her also said that they would smell burning feces. Let me pause right there. Because if I'm around and I smell burning feces coming from you, I'm going to offer you a Tums or two and recommend a shower. I wouldn't just say, oh, <laughs> there's Sarah. She's possessed. Don't mind her and her burning feces smell. No offense to any Sarahs out there. Just imagine going through your life as a young person, finally on your own in college just to deal with this kind of stuff. Nobody wants to reach out because 
you are, for all intents and purposes, a reclusive person who is overly religious and likes to stay in her room and pray. I can't help but wonder if somebody maybe would have noticed sooner, could she have been saved? With all of this going on, Annalise grew increasingly upset with her treatment plan, which led her to suffer from both depression and self-destructive behavior. She did have one friend though, and she went on a trip with her. During this time, her friend noticed she was physically unable to walk past a crucifix. Well, this was all it took for her parents to become convinced she was possessed. How could it take so little to convince a person of possession? What else would they believe just because of a small inconsistency in a person's daily life? I don't know, the smell of burning feces didn't do it, but the minute she can't walk past a crucifix, and now she must be the daughter of Satan. She did continue to take her anti-seizure medicine, as well as her depression meds. All right, folks, this is where her whole world gets turned upside down. Some experts say that she possibly suffered from schizophrenia, although she was never diagnosed or went under any treatment for it. On the religious side, however, every person she met decided that she was indeed possessed. This is where science and religion go head to head. Going back to our friend, Dr. Gallagher, he also grew up Catholic and has been the one questioning his own faith that whole time. He has studied this as a curiosity and was even part of the Association of Exorcists. I don't know if this is something I, I should be thinking, but I know we all are. It's a, it's a secret club where they meet up on a given night once a month in a secret location to perform rituals in robes. I highly doubt that's the case. But the exclusivity of the club make it sound like much more than a bunch of religious figures around a table approving or disproving exorcisms. It is said that this association takes a scholarly approach to the whole exorcism scene. And Dr. Gallagher is a consultant on the matter. Now keep in mind what we said earlier, that a person that is open to demonic possession will generally not be the type of devout Christian that Annalise was known to be. So how does one get possessed, you might ask? I will provide that answer with this caution. Even though demonic possession is something that is ultra rare, I do not condone or recommend seeking this type of thing out. Please stop listening now and try again next week for a different episode if you're just here looking to become possessed. You don't want that shit show. And I do not want to be responsible for guiding someone to that. Moving on. Possession isn't something you see in shows like Supernatural where you open your mouth and a ton of black smoke flies out and into someone officially quote-unquote, possessing them. You're not going to go to bed at night and wake up with a demon inside the next day. Yes, there are a ton of attacks, 
but generally these afflict someone who has turned to something evil. Annalise wasn't evil at all, you say. We know she was very religious, so she would have been one of those exceptional cases. Most of the time, our possession victims will come from people who have immersed themselves or even just nibbled at the fruit of the dark side. Occults, behaviors like Satanism, and, and so forth. You get the picture. Another level of the vulnerable would be people who have turned so evil in their beliefs that they expect favors from the dark forces in exchange for doing their bidding. At this point, you're as good as done. Demons don't make deals, and they would probably just rather take over than continue to provide you with any favors. At this point, you would have spun so far out of control, it would take so much to bring you back. Most people in this case, they don't know where to turn for help. They have cut out all religion from their life and have no priest or pastor or other religious figurehead to turn to. Take this as a final warning. Don't do this at home for any reason. Don't set out with the ultimate end goal and conclusion to invite something dark into you. Because I promise you, when you start knocking on that door, whatever answers that door is not going to be what you expect. Dr. Gallagher makes it very clear that it is possible for those extreme religious people to see psychiatric problems as satanic forces or demonic possession. It truly can happen to anyone and has been documented throughout all of history and across different cultures. In fact, the earliest evidence of demonic possession comes from remains from a 5,000-year-old piece of literature that proves early exorcisms and possessions because of a hole they found in the skulls as evidence of trephining. This was done during that time to quote-unquote release the evil spirits trapped there. So they would take this, this piece of metal and they would it's basically a lobotomy but they, they'd crack a hole in somebody's skull to release the evil. Back in the day, this is how you treated a variety of issues. Either that or just do some cocaine. As we all know, cocaine actually used to be part of the medical thing. Now, it is to be noted that Hippocrates, a Greek physician, understood the natural processes behind the paranormal part of it. The Greeks liked to make science with superstition, and it showed. Galen, another Greek, said that the mental health relied upon the body's humors, blood, phlegm, bile, and black bile. The best way to treat those things and handle a possession is to purge or bloodletting. Laxatives or even immersion in hot or cold water. Even at time, sulfur flames. The Greeks were serious about ridding oneself of evil. 
we see that the use of prayer helped to combat supernatural forces, and it is still common around the world. In each religion, in each sector of the world, you have stories relating to the power of prayer. The common themes here is that illness was associated with spiritual possession and is said to be a form of divine punishment. You can use preventative actions, but at that time, either a saint or healer could take these actions and it would either be through violent measures or prayer. My, how times have changed. Now, it's interesting to note that exorcism did not become a true structured thing until around the 8th century. A ton of people with mental health issues were looked at as possessed and would be made to suffer versus getting helped. In 2012, a poll was taken that found out that just over half of all Americans believed in possession and almost 70% believed in angels and demons. Exorcisms today have become such a thing and a need that the Roman Catholic Church has training facilities just for these positions. Now, Annalise's family wanted to get her help for her demons. They applied twice to get an exorcism right for her and were denied by the church both times. At one point, her mother claimed that her neurologist is the one who recommended reaching out to the church for help. Once confronted, however, he denied any such conversation taking place. However, in November of 1973, Annalise met with a psychiatrist and he diagnosed her with as a neurotic person with a possible case of epilepsy. Another neurologist she went to said she had epileptic patterns. They even went as far to prescribe her a much stronger drug to help control her possible epilepsy. Still though, the family continued to try any avenue they could in order to get the help that she needed. After these denials, the family started getting desperate. They said that she had several suicidal episodes, she would eat bugs, she harmed herself, spurned religious objects, and even drank her own urine. It's also been reported that she would be heard through the walls in her house, screaming for hours at a time. She was still undergoing her medical treatments, and these seemed to provide no relief to her affliction. During this time, the family reported paranormal activity in their home. This came in the form of swarms of flies, lights flickering, phantom telephone calls claiming to be people the McHales knew, but when later asked were told they never placed a call or had that conversation. Finally, in 1975, the third request for an exorcism was approved. This was the time that Annalise herself demanded that an exorcism be performed. Also during this time, Annalise became more withdrawn and started showing superhuman strength. The bug eating continued as well as the urine drinking. She would destroy rosaries and any religious items from the family's home. She was reported to at one point have thrown her sister across the room as like some type of doll. 
She even squeezed an apple so hard that it exploded, and it seemed as if this took her no effort at all. When watching a YouTube video on the case called The Chilling Exorcism of Annalise McHale, they even attempted to recreate the apple explosion and were not able to. This is starting to sound more like a case of possession as we go on. Another set of recordings the priest could be heard asking why the demons feared the rosary. They didn't want to say it, but they were told it was as strong as any weapon against evil. The demonic voices can be heard talking about how people in church don't pray like they should because it's unfashionable and that demons are responsible for making the rosary a thing for women because it helps take the power of the rosary away. Going further into the audio tapes, the demons can be heard talking about communion and how the priests must be recognizable as priests, how they must not get married, and that is God's command. This part seems a little forced to me, even possibly fake. I mean, during the pauses, you can hear growling as the priest is trying to get more information from the demons possessing her. It is said they must go shit with these tapes. The demons go on to talk about unborn babies who die don't go to heaven if they're not baptized. And it should be noted that the demon also refused to say the word heaven. That was some heavy stuff and I was only able to find a few of the tapes, but those tapes chilled me to the bone. Now talking more about her actual exorcism and how it came to pass. The Bishop of Würzburg named Josef Stangl decided now is the time. He gave the local pastor, Ernest Alt, and a missionary, Arnold Renz, the permission to do the exorcism. They decided to go with a 17th century ritual Romanum. Just so we are all caught up on what that is, this would be one of the official books of the Roman Rite. It provides several services that are performed by a priest. So, on September 24th, 1975, they performed the exorcism, and it seemed to rid Annalise of all but just one demon. Now, this is actually common in exorcisms where there are multiple spirits invading a body. The lesser, weaker demons will all file out pretty quickly uh, and first. There's always one, two, or three dominating demons that are so powerful that, I mean, it takes a real struggle of faith to remove them. Now, it is worth noting that Father Renz did approve a few of these rites to be recorded, and altogether we have evidence that they occurred and what occurred in those sessions. I've listened to some of these audio recordings, and I will link the video in my show notes. The first few seconds of one video recording was, was terrifying. Father Renz can be heard asking, why are you all here? A demonic growling voice answered back, I have the right to be in this woman. I will carry this brat so long until she croaks. This dumbass bitch. Note, this is all in German. And then she would scream. It goes on saying that there is no going back for us. 
never for all eternity. This folks made me very afraid for her and for myself. The demons claimed they lied about Lucifer being inside of her and they said their names of everyone inside of her. This was not something that I would think a person of her character would just fake for attention. She also noted that a demon named Valentin Fleischmann was the disgraced priest and was able to account very vivid details to his life to the priest performing the exorcism. They stated, though the relief was temporary, and they all returned the next day to continue to torment. Annalise said that she was possessed by as many as six demons at a time and named them as Lucifer, Judas Iscariot, Nero, Cain, Hitler, and the non-named disgraced priest that turned out to be Valentin Fleischmann. The priest attempted to find out how such a devout Christian such as Annalise could become so heavily possessed. The response they got was that she was cursed to bury the burden of her mother's unfaithfulness. In May of the following year, Annalise would begin banging her head against the wall, biting herself and other people. At one point, her family had to tie her up to prevent her from hurting herself. This was at the point that she refused to eat. She said it wasn't that she didn't want to, it was that she was not permitted to eat. In June, her entire face had sunk in showing just how emaciated she was. She was now just a feeble former shell of her former beautiful self. Let's rewind to a few months, to around July of 1975. Annalise stated that she was getting regular visits from a person that she claimed that was the Mother Mary. She was walking with someone and she dropped to her knees, stating later that she spoke with none other than the Virgin Mary herself. In September, she said that she spoke again to the Virgin who stated and asked her to take the penance for lost souls. And after Annalise agreed, the possession got worse. For 10 months, Annalise went, underwent over 67 exorcism rites, having these sessions once or twice per week. During the sessions, it is said that she was known to just urinate on command eat bugs, dead animals, and even munch on pieces of coal. She also, during one session, got under a table and barked like a dog for two days straight. Keep in mind that while mentally she was undergoing all of these changes, physically her body was starting to wear from the abuse it was taking. During some point, she said she didn't want to seek medical attention any longer. She even begged a friend a few months before her death to not suggest medical attention to anyone as the demons would not go for it. At one point, her knee ligaments started to rupture after hundreds of genuflections. A genuflection is basically kneeling in prayer repeatedly. Her convulsions came back around Easter of that year and she stopped eating and drinking completely. 
She said that she did this to protect herself from Satan's influence. And toward the end of her life, Father Alt said that he attempted to seek medical help for her through the form of a friend, Dr. Richard Roth. He stated, however, that he was only there out of curiosity and as a friend. He was not there to treat Annalise. It was also noted that the doctor said Annalise had no external injuries and looked otherwise healthy. Father Alt, however, had a different account. He said that she had several bruises, her cheek was swollen, and her eyes were black. Allegedly, the doctor also said there are no injections against the devil. I can't give her anything. However, later when questioned, he claimed he never said that. She was desperate at this point to end it all. Still, they performed one final exorcism in which her parents helped her go through the motions because at this time she was now only 68 pounds. She was far too weak to move her body at all. On July 1st of 1976, she passed away to severe dehydration and malnutrition. She had also caught pneumonia and had a fever at the time of her death. Her final words were recorded as, beg for absolution. And then she told her mother, I'm afraid. We can take a seemingly healthy girl who suffered from a clear mental illness and performed so many rites on her to rid her of these demons and she was so devout that she claimed she was told to die and endure this for others who would not. Can you imagine what was going on through her head during all of this, possessed or not? She was probably afraid and wanted to reach out for help, but felt that her church was helping her by providing the rights. And on the other side of the coin, she felt if she didn't do this, that God would be displeased. I'm not sure how how I feel about this. Because she she starved herself to death and she... She put her body through so much torture that she just wanted to end it. And when it came time for her to end, she was terrified. Upon her death, an autopsy was performed and it was found that Annalise had a healthy brain that showed no damage caused by seizure. Her brain was said to be very normal and healthy. It also showed that she showed no signs of starvation The organ itself had no signs of starvation or dehydration, which was ultimately ruled as the cause of death. So how is that everyone around her said she was emaciated? We have photos to prove it and dehydrated. However, her autopsy showed vastly different. Once Annalise passed, her parents, as well as the two priests involved, were heavily criticized for their role in her death. Several medical specialists stated that her parents just forcefully fed her even as late as a week before her passing, she would have made it through her final exorcism. She may even be around today to tell us her tale, but this didn't happen, and she isn't here. People like me and other content creators must pass her story on for her. Now, all the blame... It it can't be landed just on the parents. After all, in the end, it was Annalise who wanted to die. 
Her own sister testified in court that Annalise wanted to pay for the sins of others, and through dying she was able to achieve this. The case finally saw the courtroom on March 30th, 1978. Of course, with a case like this, a lot of public interest was going around. Everyone wanted to see how it turned out for her parents and the priests involved in the exorcism. Father Arnold Renz and Pastor Ernest Alt were represented by a lawyer who had been appointed by the church. Annalise's parents hired their own lawyer. Doctors would testify that Annalise had been suffering from psychological effects of such a harsh and strict upbringing. After all, her mother on multiple occasions told her to take penance for the sins of others. Remember at the age of just 16, she laid on the cold stone floor overnight to do this such thing. The bishop that said it was okay to do the exorcism stated that he was unaware that Annalise had any medical condition. Do you think this would have stopped him at this point from allowing it to go through? Moving forward in the trial, the defense would argue that all four involved should be protected by the German constitution. The defense, however, stated that Father Alt himself had signs of schizophrenia. Could Father Alt then be the one that was seeing things that weren't there? And the devout Michaels took him at his word because he was a religious authority. We may never know that answer. However, they claim that an exorcism should count as a protected religious practice. They also played the tapes of Annalise's demons arguing with each other to further prove the point that she was indeed telling the truth of her possession. Science would counter-argue that while not ill-intended, the priests reinforced the psychotic behavior and enabled her suffering. Another argument, however, is that the medication pushed in her into a deep psychosis and the exorcism she underwent played into them to the point that she really thought she was possessed. It was noted that during the times in between the exorcism rituals, she would behave normally. This, though, counteracts what we talked about earlier, that she would destroy religious items, eat bugs, throw her sister, and bust apples in the kitchen. I feel like the prosecution was arguing against anything remotely religious because they wanted to make sure the guilty parties paid their penance in their eyes and suffer as they allowed Annalise to suffer. It's just my opinion and I'm neither a lawyer, doctor, nor a priest. I'm just a normal man presenting the facts of the case to you as I found them. The final verdict came in as guilty of negligent homicide and each of the four, the two, the priest, the pastor, and her parents were sentenced to six months in prison which was suspended with three years probation. Now later, the prison time would be waived. The McHales had to pay the entire cost of the three week long trial and the priest only had to pay a few minor fines. Do you think it's fair that the punishments in terms of money were so vastly different between the parents and the priests? Now, many people agree that the Annalise exorcism showed gross negligence on the priest's part for not having any medical professionals present in the event of an emergency. 
The Toldo Blade paper, though, said that the exorcism ritual notes that they are not responsible for medical matters, only the spiritual ones. In 1984, it would be revised through petitioning from German bishops to provide a more suited protection in terms of the possessed individuals. And a recent book of exorcism and certain supplications warned against confusion of mental illness for demonic possession. It seems as though the church is embracing getting help for mental illness instead of just assuming it's demons. Now, on to some good things that have come from Annalise's case. It has set a precedent and a question. Are people truly destined to suffer in place of others just to save their souls? Was Annalise just a woman in need of some serious mental help due to her parents' strict upbringing, possibly suffering abuse from her own family and failed by medicine? Did she have a sense of purpose in her life? Though, and no one would be able to take that from her. If this story actually sounds familiar, it's because her story was the inspiration for the film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. If you haven't seen it, give it a watch. It's an awesome blending of courtroom drama and creepy possession. I just want to stress the fact that mental health is very important in this day and age. There are so many incidents concerning the individuals that suffer from mental um, health issues that could be avoided had someone just noticed or someone gave a shit enough to talk to them about it. Whether or not Annalise was possessed or she suffered some psychotic break, we'll never know. What do you think? Do you think she was possessed? Or do you think that all of the um, pressures of her strict upbringing caused her to go into a psychotic break? Well, folks, that will do it for this episode of Through the Veil. I am so thankful that you decided to join us again. If you like what we do here, feel free to show your support for the show. You can do this by clicking the link in the show description to support our service host, or you can find us on Buy Me a Coffee. Feel free to visit us at ThroughTheVeilPodcast.com to get more information and bonus content for today's episode. And just a reminder that you can follow me on Twitter at JDTheVeil and that we release new content every Tuesday. Join us next week as we dive into Ed Gein and the paranormal events that happen on his old property to this day. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind. This is JD, and I hope you have enjoyed this opportunity to once again peer through the veil.